The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. Um, so we are in the Gospel of John, and we're in chapter 6. And uh, last week we talked about uh, Jesus feeding uh, kids going back. Okay. Uh, we talked about uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, and I made comment during, the, uh, during our time that I wanted today, I wanted to talk about the crowd. Um, so we know that after Jesus feeds 5,000, he sent his disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and then he went up into the mountains to pray. And then it says, once the crowds realized that Jesus was not there, they went to seek Jesus out. And so how many of those 5,000, I don't know, but it says basically the crowd went to seek Jesus out. And verse 25 says, when they found him, Jesus said to them, so they're seeking for him, they found him, and when they found him, Jesus, they asked a question of Jesus that seemed silly, but Jesus didn't even respond to their question, but just jumps in to say something to them, and he says this in verse 26, uh, verily, verily, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and your and you had had your fill. So John 6, chapter 6, verse 2, it starts out where John had said that the large crowd was following Jesus simply because they saw the signs that he was doing, how he was healing the sick. And so from this we can gather that um, now Jesus is telling them, you know what, basically you're just uh, seeking me so you can be fed. So I think that it's safe to say that the crowd that was following Jesus, they were not looking to him as Messiah. They weren't looking as, at him to surrender their lives to him or to the Lord, to God. They were looking to get something from him. So they started seeking him because of the miracles, then because he fed them. And so Jesus had done all these um, miracles in front of them. And so, as they're coming, they're looking to get something from him. So the crowd is looking to get something from Jesus. So he, he did the miracles in front of them, he fed them, he healed them, he had compassion on them, and then we learn that when he plainly, we learn as we read on when he plainly confronted them with the truth, they rejected the truth, and they rejected him. Hi, David. Carolyn, how you doing back there? Good to see you. Looking good. How you feeling? <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, let's see. Okay, where was that? Sorry. Squirrel. Oh, so... The crowd, for the most part, 
because even in the crowd there were serious seekers. But John is just in general blanketing the crowd. Uh, they saw Jesus as a means to an end. Uh, they came to him to get something from him, something that they wanted, whether it was healing or food or to be freed from their impression because he did the oppression, you could talk uh, oppression of the sickness or demon possession. So when they came, to me, John is saying, they didn't come because they wanted God or the things of God. They want, but they did want his kindness. They wanted what he could do for them. They came because they perceived what Jesus could do for them, not for what he came to do for them. Uh, and that was to free them from the bondage of their sins. So for the most part, again, the crowd is focused on what they can get from Jesus to help them in the ways that they want. So, I got to thinking about this, the crowd. So, what do we know about the crowd? What, what can we surmise about the crowd then? Well, I would say by and large, most of them were Jewish because of where he was at. I'm sure there were Gentiles in there. Uh, here's a group of people that should have known. I'm thinking about today, the crowd today. Who's the crowd today? I'm not, I'm not necessarily thinking that it's the world per se. I'm thinking maybe, maybe the crowd is seekers, the seekers, people seeking Jesus. Any thoughts about that? Keith? Unfortunately, some of the church can be the crowd. Yeah, coming to church for what he can do for us, not really yeah. knowing him. Oh, sorry, you want me to use the mic, don't you, Larry? So, I got to thinking about the crowd then, and I'm thinking about the crowd now. And for the most part, there's not really a lot that's changed. Uh, because the crowd, for the most part, is still focused only on what they can get from Jesus to help them in the ways they want. Now, I've been doing this a long time, and... Um, I can tell you that most people start seeking Jesus um, because everything else they have tried has failed. And that's not a diss because at some point they hear about the kindness of God. And so when they come to Him, they are looking for something specific. Does that make sense? So I can't tell you how many people I've sat across with uh, marital relationships. The husband leaves, the wife leaves, and they come, and primarily they're coming for one thing. They want their situation to change. They want their wife back or they want their husband back. Or they come because they're in financial straits, and so they come and they're looking for something specific. They're looking for relief from where they are, from the financial distress of where they are, or they're sick. You could just list a number of things, but people hear about the kindness of God and they're coming to Him for that specific thing that they have need of. So in some ways, I mean, we really can't bash the crowd 
Jesus is healing them. He's freeing them. Uh, he's feeding them. They're hearing about it, and so he comes. They come to him. And when they come, they're coming for a particular reason, and it's for themselves. They're coming to get something for themselves, what they have need of. And so here's the, here's the thing. We've watched it, possibly you watched it in your own life, people around you. They come to Jesus for a specific need. And, you know, they hear that Jesus, they hear about the kindness of God, and so they come to him. And then Jesus does meet their need. I've, I've seen that so often. Jesus does meet their need. But then when you press a little bit farther and you tell them, look, okay, that, yeah, that's awesome that Jesus met your need, but let me be clear about what he is really wanting out of your life. Has he been kind to you? Yes. Was he merciful? Yes. Did he answer that? Yes, he did. But Jesus may meet their need, but when they hear about their need of salvation and what that looks like, most of them, they just start, they bow out. When it really comes to that place, and again, I, I can think of dozens and dozens of people, more than that, that have, over the years, that have come to Christ because of some kind of situation in their life and Jesus met that need. He really did answer that need. And then, one of two things happen. He meets a need, and they think, great, I got what I needed. They, they're not there any longer. Or they think, this is awesome. And then they press in a little bit, and you explain the gospel more clearly. They learn a little bit more specifically what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and what salvation is and what the way of salvation looks like, and then they don't want that any longer. That's the crowd. Any thoughts about that? Keith? I mean, this is kind of this one parallel with the parallel of the sower. The government's strong, the seed falling on it. Did you watch my notes? Did you read my notes? Well, I can't really see very well. Confession. You can't see it's a computer, you sure? <laughs> so, I think, uh, you know, logically, there are a couple reasons for the crowd and the way the crowd are. First of all, they're not spiritually minded, they're carnally minded. Um, we know that uh, in the latter days, men are going to be lovers of themselves and pleasure more than they are God. And then you have the devil in the mix. Uh, he is trying to lead astray and deceive. God understand that men are blinded by their sin, darkened in their understanding uh, because of their sin. So there are some things about that. But then I got to thinking that there are two things that are evident when you see this interaction with Jesus and the crowd. Now, this isn't just in John's gospel, but throughout the gospels, you can see it. And actually, through the epistles, you can see it. Actually, throughout the course of the scripture, you can kind of see this. 
Jesus had compassion on them. He fed them, he healed them, he delivered them from demon possession, and he told them the truth. And I think that's important because, you know, people hear, well, God loves me, and he does love them. He demonstrated his love toward them because he sent his son to deliver them from their sinful life. That's true. But Jesus did not come to do whatever you think you want or need for your life to live the way you want. That's not the reason he came. Jesus came to give life. He came to break the bondage of sin in our life. He came to bring salvation into our life. And so, in my mind, you know, as Jesus, he keeps telling them about the blessing of salvation... But he keeps instructing them on the way of salvation as well. And so those two things are true. God loves you. Yes, he does. And because he loves you, this is what he did. Now here's what you need to do on your side of this equation. And so I think that he painted a kind of a plain, simple picture. And they chose, for the most part, the crowd, for the most part, chose not to believe it. There were some in the crowd that did. There were some that perceived. There were some that were seeking for more than that. But for the most part. And so the crowd, I could say, always lacks faith and understanding when it comes to Jesus. In Matthew or in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, it was Picture in your mind's eye, here's Jesus and his disciples, and there's large crowds traveling with Jesus. And I've mentioned this before, and Jesus just stops, he turns in his tracks, he looks at the crowd, and he said, look, if anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross, and follow me, cannot be my disciple. And so I, I, I've watched this in my own life, and I've watched it in the lives of others. Winning people to Christ isn't just sugar, just giving them sugar, you know? It is, it is not the allurement of just what God can do for you. That is there, but we really need to have Clarity, people need to have clarity and they need to have the truth about what salvation really is. And you have to know that for the most part, unless God is drawing them, and even if God is drawing them, first reactions a lot of times don't, aren't just open arms and welcoming concerning the gospel because it's a light that shines into their darkness. But we do need to be straight with people concerning the gospel. And I don't, I mean, Jesus really exampled it out. So we shouldn't be hesitant uh, in telling people clearly about the whole gospel. Because the reality is the truth sets people free. And the only thing that can really confront the, the lack of faith and the misguidance of the crowd is truth. Whether they like it or they don't like it. I, I don't know about you, when you first... Uh, heard the gospel, but I know what it was like for me, you know, uh, my friend just tell me, Tracy, you're, um, yeah, the life you're living, yeah, uh, it's not good, 
you are living so contrary to God and the things of God. And, uh, you know, it kind of, as this good news, here's what Christ can do for you, here's why He came, here's what happens if you choose to reject that. And so that is a part of it. But the beauty about that is if God is drawing people, you've got to know that when you take and lay the gospel out, it is the power of God which God uses. The gospel is what God uses to bring men to salvation. So when you share the gospel, the good news about Jesus came to deliver, that's true, but the whole of the gospel is because we are lost in our sins and separated from God and we were staring down eternal damnation. See, that's the whole of it. you got to know that when you share that, that it has the ability to reach into people's lives. The Holy Spirit uses that. It's if, I just have, I have a lot of stories of people saying to me, you know, it was the hard truth of having to come to a stop and say, okay, that's what that is and then needing to make a decision about that. And we think, I mean, for me, I can tell you very clearly, I came to faith, I didn't understand it fully, but it wasn't long after I became a believer that I was, I was just like stopped in my tracks, and Jesus said to me very clearly, Tracy, I want it all. I was in a service, and they were talking about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him, and the whole time he's saying, and I'm not really happy about what he's saying, because it was kind of fun uh, where I was at, you know, it was like life was, life was getting good, and then he just spoiled my fun, right? But the outcome of that was, the Spirit of God just hit me and said, this is truth, what are you going to do with it? Then I needed to make a decision. And my decision was, after I whined a bit, I just, was quick to look back and say, man, he's done so much for me up to this point. How much more will he do for me if I keep laying my life down? And that's exactly what you find when you place your faith fully in Christ. Any thoughts? Yes, Daria. Here, let me do this. So you got me thinking of something that I always was confused in the Bible about hating your mother, you know, the people that you love. And because if you don't do that, it's like you're not, you're not really following Jesus. But then you said it's about telling the truth in the lives. So I was thinking, oh, that makes sense now because and like it's not like you're hating them because they are doing wrong. It's just to put the word of God in their lives and say, okay, this is what you're supposed to be changing. So that that changed my perspective because sometimes I, I just started studying the Bible and then there are some parts that I get really confused because I'm thinking how this is possible, how God can do this because he's loving and kind. But now I understand. <laughs> so that's a big open eye-opener <laughs> that I understood. And what else was I going to say? I forgot. Well, I forgot what else I was going to say, but yeah. Okay. Anybody else? 
I really like what you mentioned about people are chasing Jesus because of the healing. And then this morning, the reading that the reading that we had is about um, God is good for everything. And then when Scott is back and forth, urgent care, and again went to the ER yesterday. And this morning when we read that, I asked God, how do you feel about that when you have that chronic? We accept Christ, we accept God, and we believe, we profess that we believe because we see things in our life. Now the thing is sustaining it. And it seems like when Scott said that, uh, I don't feel like I got healed with that and that emotions of sometimes why is it if he is a good God and he can heal things, why, we, why I'm not healed? So it, saying that, that's how we are. That's what they want to see. We want to see the instant gratification of healing. We want to see the instant gratification of what we can get from God when we pray to God. And that's what we make us believer. Then after that, when there's storm coming, it doesn't manifest because what happened is that's all we see is the, is the surface, superficial God that we see. We thought that is superficial. We never had the depth of Christ, and we never understood and believed on the depth of God created in us. Okay. Somebody else? So... We're going to see quickly that Jesus, just what she was talking about, he, he, he lays out choices. And you see it all the way through the scriptures uh, where choices are laid out. So there's nothing new about that. God said this way, this is how you need to walk. Here's truth, walk in this truth. Here's choices. And Jesus, when he comes, he's helping the crowd understand the difference between temporal and eternal choices. But he's always helping them see choices that they need to make. And I think in, when Jesus goes on, or John re, goes on in verses uh, 27 through 29, Jesus says to the crowd who was... They're trying to just get their needs met, what they want for today. And he equates that with food, just your daily sustenance. And he's going, whoa, wait, don't work for or don't labor. Don't live your life specifically for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. In other words, your pursuit should be on eternal things, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. And so they then pose the question, Jesus says that, and they said, okay, well, we might be a little confused. What must we do to get that? In other words, they, they ask specifically, what? must we do to do the works that God requires? And I love it because Jesus responds to them and he said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So the work is to believe in the one that he has sent. So they're chasing around, following around, 
they're living a life that they think gets them where they need to be. And Jesus is going, you don't have this fully. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says to the crowd, he says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what secures eternal life? What secures our salvation? Is it by asking for things from Jesus? You know, you start getting around like the crowds. They were following, they were asking, they were seeking particular things. Some of them even receiving things from them. From him and maybe even some doing things for him, does that secure salvation? No, that does not secure salvation. It's faith and repentance. It's faith and repentance. That's what brings about our salvation, brings us into eternal life. And then after finding this new life, we need to walk in the new life that we have found, doing the will of the Father. And so... You can, you, you see it again and again. Uh, when I find people that are coming for a particular purpose, tip, typically, I'm, at some point in time, I'm going, I'm finding out why they're coming. And sometimes when I find out they're coming for a particular thing, that's fine. I pray with them about that. But somewhere in the conversation, I'll say, you know, it seems to me like maybe you're here for this, but I just need to let you know there's more than that if you're here. And then just begin to explain the purpose and the reasoning for Jesus to come. And like Keith said in the parable of the sower, I think, uh, you know, I think of the parable of the sower, sometimes it can be um, maybe mislead us a little bit. The title can mislead us a little bit because the key focus of the parable is not so much on the sower, but the seed in the soil. So we know about it. It's titled the parable of the sower, but really it's about the seed and the soils. And we learn that the seed is the word of God and the soil is the hearts of people. And so when the sower casts the seed, it falls on different types of soil. Some, some seed falls along the hardened soil of the path, and the devil snatches it away. Some seed falls on soil that is on rocky soil that's not very deep, and so the seed begins to take root, but because the sun is hot, there's no depth, the seed, the plant dies out. Others, the seed falls in a place they call among the thorns or the places where the cares of the life and the deceitfulness of so many things choke out, grow and choke out uh, that good thing that God is putting in them and others do fall on good soil. They hear the word, they accept it and persevere. And by persevering, they produce a crop. And so to me, it's always been that there, it, it's, there, it's per, there's clarity and fruitfulness for us in the message of the gospel because we believe it. So we accept the message of the gospel. 
we hear it, we accept it, and we persevere, and we produce a crop. And I was uh, thinking about that because I was kind of going over the parable of the sower, and I, I don't remember, I was thumbing through one of my Bibles, and the Bible that I was thumbing through, you know how it has your headings? And I came across Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, there's this big picture concerning the kingdom of God through these parables. And I think seeing it in this way kind of really helps us understand why some people rejected the message uh, of the gospel and others kind of responded positively toward it. So the first of those parables of the kingdom of God is a parable of the sower, how people respond to the gospel. Some, the devil just snatches the word away. Some, it's planted in shallow ground, no root. Some, everything else is in the middle of it. And some, it produces a good effect on some. The positive effect that it's supposed to. And then the next parable, it's interesting, is the parable of the weeds, which speaks of the enemy coming in and sowing seeds, weeds among the, among the wheat. And so we see the devil in the mix, and he's sowing his own seeds of discord and deception. The next parable is the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven that helps us see that no matter how small the influence of the kingdom of God is in your life, in an individual's life, it can be great. It can overtake someone's life. It's great. And then the parable about the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value help us see the value of the kingdom of God in, a in an individual's life. They find it and it's great. They pursue it because it's great. And then you have the parable of the net, where the net's cast in and there's good fish and bad fish. And you see that at the end of time that God has determined they are separated and judged. And then there is this about the old and new treasure. See, there are things that God had, had established and things that God has established, and God's established them all. And so just in a big sweep, we can see how what God is up to in the world and presenting himself and the truth and the decisions that people make, whether they will receive and accept it or they will deny it. Any thoughts about any of that? I was thinking about um, how you said about the seed when you receive the seed, um, I think that we, we all go through the same experience because we receive the Holy Spirit. And then you start to um, make decisions about what to do with the seed. So I remember that, for example, I stopped listening to um, music. I only decided to listen to Christian music. Why? Because it was not doing well uh, to my soul. I was evoking um, thoughts of the past that were not good for me. So I think that, you know, if you have the seat there, the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and you have to make a decision about what he says. Mm -hmm. Because I could have ignored and maybe continue listening or continue doing, but I have seen in my walk with Christ that um, the Holy Spirit has put in me thoughts that I, I try to obey them. Okay. Someone else? Anybody? 
All right, well, uh, here's something else I noticed when I was looking at Jesus and his interaction with the crowds. Jesus often separated himself and his disciples from the crowd. So when you're reading through the Gospels, you can just see it. There's the crowd, there's all this interaction with the crowd, and then you say, you see that Jesus separates himself, and when Jesus separated himself, he went off to the Father to pray. And, you know, I'm sure that a large part of that was he was disheartened by the people's lack of faith and desire for God. And then when he separated his disciples from the crowd, so you'll see that. Jesus separates himself and his disciples from the crowd. When he separated his disciples from the crowd, it was to teach them. And many times it was to teach them because of the misguided belief of the crowd. So he had to correct them. Or it was he separated them so that he could teach them about the lies and the hypocrisy of the religious leaders that were in the crowd. So we know that Jesus' interaction with the crowd is that he was continually correcting and redirecting the crowd to the truth. It's what he constantly did with the crowd. Now here's the, here's the thing about that. And I think that this is kind of what uh, I've said this before. Hey, don't be surprised if sinners sin. Kind of what they do, right? So we need to understand where their position is. Jesus had compassion on them. And we shouldn't be surprised if Jesus has compassion on the lost. Because he does. Here's the crowd. They're not, they're not seeking him as Messiah. They're trying to find something from them. What did Jesus do? He heals them. He feeds them. He delivers them. So will Jesus heal a sinner? Yes, I believe so. Will he help them? Yes, I believe so. I think Jesus does. I think when we get to heaven, we'll be surprised before we came to Christ all the things that God did in our life to get us to this place. All, see, all that isn't just to help them for their now. That's why Jesus said, don't, don't keep laboring and seeking after the things that are temporal. Jesus' reason for the miracles and for his compassion to the crowd was to help the crowd understand why he came and to draw them to himself. And so Jesus was continually just correcting and redirecting the crowd. And when we go through John, as we're going through John, we're going to see that there's the introduction of uh, Jesus into the world. And then we find the ministry of Jesus to the world. And then at the end of chapter 12, we see Jesus withdrawing from the world, from the crowd, and spending a lot of quality time with his disciples in chapters 13 through 17, before he goes to his trial in the cross, in the resurrection. And so, at the end... At the end of Jesus' ministry, in chapter 12, verse 37, 
John speak concerning the crowd that was around Jesus, and he says this, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And so we should not be surprised. And then when Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do for them, he just flat out, they just flat out rejected him. So that will, that will happen. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry you are where you are, but here's the truth about the gospel. It's, it, it is, uh, it's always been a mystery to me how God can do so much in an individual's life to get into a place, and when they really get down the half to make a choice, they choose against. But again, I guess it's not a surprise when you understand they're darkened by their sin and the enemy is at work in their life, blind in their minds from receiving the truth. All right, well, let me end with this, these verses right here. It's uh, Matthew, this is just a reminder for us. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. Denise had, I didn't realize she was going to do it. She had Tom reading out of Isaiah and one of the scriptures that I had in here early this morning that uh, I was going to reference but did not was talking about God's word that goes forth out of his mouth. It accomplishes in what he sent it for. And so the gospel is God's word, out of, God's word out of his mouth, and it can accomplish what he sent it for. And that was for the redemption of humanity. So Matthew chapter, 24 verse, or Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28 says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for redeeming our life from destruction, crowning us with loving kindness and tender mercy. Thank you that you approached us. Thank you that you continue to approach us. Thank you that you continue to, to draw us to yourself. Thank you that you continue to bring light into our life, that you kept removing blindness from us so that we could see the truth and come to the truth and find it. Thank you for that in our lives. We know that as we are in the world and we're light to the world, the world will react in different ways. But I'm praying that you would help us be as you were to show the kindness of God through our lives and also to tell the truth of God through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.